Excellent. We're going to be flicking to Romans chapter 5, just for a surprise. You went all quiet on me. Very quiet, very quiet. Before I um, start and before we pray this morning and open the word, I just want to mention something that I found fascinating uh, during the week. I had an opportunity to head up to Melbourne on Monday night, Monday just gone, which seems like a long time ago, but it was only six days away before. I had an incredible opportunity to go up to hear a man speak in Melbourne, uh, an American pastor called Bill Johnson. And um, if I can say this uh, openly and honestly, and I think I can, that perhaps, I don't know how you feel, but uh, occasionally when I think I'm going to hear an American pastor, (laughs) I kind of think, ah, here we go again. It'll just be more shouting and raving and carrying on. And uh, I I probably shouldn't have that attitude, but can I share that with you? Is that okay? Anybody else share that with me? Or is it just me? Yeah, I don't mean to be rude. I love my American friends. It's all good. But I was thinking, oh, here we go. Here we go. Another screaming American evangelist, probably wearing a white suit, um, <laughs> made of polyester, showing the sweat stains. But anyway, um, I wasn't going that far in my dream. I just, just made that up then. Um, but much to my surprise and appreciation and perhaps a um, little adjustment in my own attitude, uh, Bill Johnson turned out to be an, an amazing man of God who had a word not just for that place and that time, um, but I felt, you know, for my heart as well. He was the most gentle, quiet, peace-filled speaker I think I've ever heard. There were 1,500 people in the room and you could hear a pin drop. And he started simply by saying, and it's really affected me this week and I I want this to be the basis of our prayer before we open the word. He started simply by saying in Isaiah 64, there's a little passage, a little prayer, where it says, Lord, rend open the heavens, meaning, God, rip open the heavens and pour your spirit out on us. And he described that for a minute, and then he said, isn't that often the case that our our prayer to God regularly is, God, would you please speak to us? Would you please pour yourself all over us? Would you please change us? Would you please alter our situation? And he went on to say, do you realize that in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus Christ was baptized, and we read that closely, it says that the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And he said, people, we have to learn that we live under an open heaven. We do not need to be continually saying, God, pour out your spirit upon us, because he already has. And we live under an open heaven. He said, most of our prayers are praying for and asking for things that you already possess. And it sat me back on my considerable seat (laughs) and made me really think this week about my prayer life and about where I stand and about where we stand as a church 
and about the sort of things we look forward to as people and the things that we pray for, you say, man, we actually already have access to everything that we are praying for because we live under an open heaven. In that attitude, trying to remember that we live under an open heaven, I want us to pray this morning for a number of things, just, just for a couple of people, firstly. Uh, it was an awesome opportunity this morning just to talk with Dennis and Dorothy um, about where Dennis is up to. And, and if you don't know, Dennis has had a, a couple of years of, of horrendous health concerns and cancers and things growing in his face and his head. Um, part of his brain has been removed, all sorts of amazing, amazing operations. And we've continued as a church and as a family to pray with them. Dorothy was just telling me over a cup of tea before the service that the neurosurgeon at the last meeting they had, said, I've got to be honest with you guys, I did not expect you to live. But occasionally we see a miracle. <laughs> Dorothy? <laughs> That's brilliant. We live under an open heaven. And I want us to pray this morning, uh, our, our state leader and national vice president, Alan Davies has a daughter, Karen, that we've been praying for. Um, we've got a bit more information this week. turns out that we didn't understand the full story. Karen, when she was uh, born, had a, a brain uh, defect uh, that wasn't picked up till she was about 17 and had a series of operations at the age of 17, which they thought had, had fixed the situation. Now, in her uh, late 20s, uh, everything suddenly got much, much worse um, to the point where earlier this year... Uh, she collapsed and, and was in a coma for four months. Um, and then as she finally came out of that coma, couldn't speak, couldn't walk, uh, and they too uh, assumed that she would never speak, walk, talk, or, or move again. Um, great recovery, lots of prayer, and she's been able to go to a, a rehab centre instead of a hospital and was looking like being sent home um, and is able to walk and talk and eat. Uh, however, she had a setback this week and has suffered a couple of seizures and is now uh, diagnosed as an epileptic um, to go with all the other concerns. So I just wanted us to pray this morning. There are a lot of things we could pray for, and there's a lot of people that we should be praying for, and we should be always praying, pray constantly, says the word. But just in the attitude of an open heaven this morning, I want to really pray there. Is that okay? Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, God, I think uh, all of us are continually learning, God, and continually trying to hear and understand your heart. God, we know, we know this one thing, <laughs> we're very sure that you love us and you created us and that you will never leave us or forsake us and that you have our best interest and intentions at heart and that you've prepared a place for us and that throughout our life you provide for us abundant life and eternal life. God, it's in that abundance that we pray right now, God, that you have provided for us an open heaven. You have already poured out your spirit upon the earth lord jesus we receive your spirit father son and holy spirit and it's through your power god that we can live and operate and do the things that you've called us to do so right now in that understanding and that knowledge we pray we give you absolute thanks and praise for the incredible results in dennis's life heavenly father he is a walking miracle a testament to your love lord jesus Thank you for everything you've done and the continued health, restoration and well-being of Dennis and Dorothy and their family. Thank you, God. And God, for Karen, we pray. Many of us don't know Karen, Heavenly Father, 
we know Alan and Joan and, and, and our hearts break for them, break for anybody that's experiencing this sort of difficulty and prolonged illness and sickness. God, we pray that there would be a full and total recovery. God, nothing is impossible for you. So we believe in faith and expectation that your spirit, God, a healing spirit will be upon her and make her well. God, bless her, strengthen her, return her to full strength in your mighty and precious name. And God, while we're praying for anything else and anyone else we know, right now, every person here probably has people in their mind or their heart that need prayer, that need a touch from you, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, relational. It could be any number of these things or all of them. And God, we think of those people, we name those people in our heads and our hearts right now, knowing that you love them, knowing that you have their names written on the palm of your hand. Bless them, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, in your mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Rip the Bible open to Romans chapter 5. In fact, it's Romans chapter (laughs) 6. There you go. Learning a new normal, number 15 this morning. Uh, if you're just joining us, if you're just tuning in, we've, uh, we've been traveling through the book of Romans and trying to hear what God is saying to us as a church right now. Every week, just a bit more prayer, just a bit more uh, requesting of God that he highlights something as we read through Romans. We've gone Romans 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5. We've had 14 weeks looking at a variety of things that God has highlighted today. Romans chapter 6 from verse 1. Let's read just the first sort of, where are we, about 14 verses. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him For we also know that Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. A phrase that jumped out at me this week while I was reading and praying and preparing was very simple and very straightforward and is found back in verse 4 where basically we read that Christ went through what he went through for you and for me for this reason, in order that we too might live a new life. Verse 4, in order that we too 
might live a new life. That we might live a new life. That's a fairly, fairly cool, fairly impacting statement. That we might live a new life. This would seem to indicate, would it not, that there was something not so good about the old one. If God went through everything that he went through, if Christ went through everything that he went through so that you and I might live a new life, this would seem to me to indicate that the old one needed replacing. Yes? You can talk to me this morning. Yes? Excellent. I like a bit of noise. It's been a bit quiet this morning. So just talk to me occasionally. Say something. It's all good. I look at this and I go, okay, the creator of all things, the king of kings, the lord of lords, he went to a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble and planning to give us access to new life. And he describes it here and says, I've I've done this and I've done this and I had to increase grace because you were sinning a bit more. That's what it says right at the start. I had to increase grace because there was more sin. So then the the writer of Romans says, oh, well, hang on, maybe we should go on sinning so we get some more grace. He says, no, no, let's stop thinking like that. And let's look at what God has done for us, this says. What has God done? Well, he went through all this death and we are baptized with him into death. Why? so that we can have a new life. So the old one needs to go out. The new one needs to come in, out with the old, in with the new. Okay, that makes sense. So today, learning a new normal number 15, let's just call it a new life. And let's look at what this passage is saying, 1 to 14, but particularly just around verse 4, that concept of a new life. God went, as we said, to a lot of trouble to give us access to this new life. I see in here two things that we receive immediately as we choose God, as we choose this new life, as we take hold of God, there are two things that, uh, there's probably many, many more, there are two things here that are highlighted to us as things that we receive immediately. Number one, or A, is the death of sin. And B, the second thing we receive is life in Christ. If we choose to follow God, if we take hold of the new life that he's offering in exchange for the old, two things happen immediately and instantly, is that we receive the death of sin. Sin in us dies. And we receive life in Christ. Let's unpack that and explain that just a little bit so we understand it. Verse 2 tells us that in choosing God, we have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? The NIV, the one I'm reading from, says, how can we live in it any longer? There has to be a, a cleaning out, a letting go, a clearing away, a removal of sin, if you will. And then a bit further down in verse 7, we see that if we have indeed died to sin and chosen new life, then there is now freedom from sin, which is a release. So in the death of sin, there's a removal and a release. Here's an example to start us to understand this. I was trying to think, how could there, how, what's a good example, God? I was trying to think, well, maybe if you had somehow, work hard on this with me, okay? Somehow you'd let a really nasty dog from somewhere else live in your backyard, It's not your dog, and you don't really know how it got there, but it's really nasty and horrible, and it lives in your backyard, and it's hassling you, and it's creating a whole lot of problems, and it's probably, it's probably called Carpenter, because it's doing little jobs all over the place. It's, (laughs) it's a tough room this morning. (laughs) Work with me. (laughs) The dog is capturing your entire life. It's a nasty animal. Well, let's call that dog sin. And that sin needs to be removed. It needs to be taken out of your backyard. 
It needs to be gone. And when it is gone, there is a release. There is freedom. There is the opportunity for you to once again live in your own life. There is new life. You have your backyard back again. Because that dirty old dog called sin that was holding you back is gone. Another quick example. Anybody ever, ever, ever let anything go off in the fridge or in the rubbish bin? Come on, work with me here. There is a stinking horrible smell in the house. Where did that come from? Something has gone off. Something is revolting. That item which is now occupying your entire sensory perception and has taken over your house, that needs to be removed. Someone's got to find that sucker and take it out. Remove it. And only after it's removed is there a release for you to be able to breathe again and go, oh, that's better. That's much better because it was taking over everything. And sin is exactly the same in our lives. It's either that barking, nasty, horrible dog that's come into our backyard and has taken over everything and will not allow you to live properly and think properly and do the things that God has called you to do. It needs to be removed so that you can have release. Or it's that stink in your fridge that you just can't find. And you find it, and you, you find it. And it needs to be removed so that you have freedom and release back in your life. This is what the Scripture is talking about. This is what it's saying to us. Take hold of the new life in Christ and two things happen. There will be a death and there will be a new life. In the death part, there's got to be a removal so there can be a release. In the new life part, it's slightly different. But it goes on to say in the new life part in verse 9, beautifully explained and beautifully written, that Christ has been raised from the dead, that he cannot die again that death no longer has mastery over him. In this new life, what do we find? No more death. In new life, there is no more death. Let me read it again. He's been raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. If we join our lives with Christ, there's no more death. New life contains no death. What does new life contain? Verse 13 tells us the gift of righteousness. No more death, but the gift of righteousness, no longer living under law, but under grace. Okay, having said all that, what do we actually know now? Well, we know that Christ suffered horribly. And in his suffering and obedience, he beat sin. He beat sin through death. Then he beat death itself through resurrection. So if you follow the pattern through, Christ, through suffering, beat sin through death. Then he beat death through resurrection. Why? So that you and I can have new life. So that you and I can have new life. A second opportunity. What an amazing gift. With that knowledge in my head and my heart, that should change the way I live. That should change the way I think. That should change everything about me that should change my perceptions my opinions my behaviors my attitudes that changes everything about me why because i now have the opportunity to live without the stench of death without the stinking rotten smell of decaying death around me that's been removed We live in freedom because we've been released 
And we live full of God's righteousness because we live under the covering of His grace. So we should live full of life. And we should live ready for new things every day. How should I live? Knowing what I know. Reading just these few verses and trying to understand them and unpack them and hear what God is saying and and watching what God has been through, the horrible suffering, the death that he took himself through his son to on a cross. Why? So that you and I could have new life. In that new life, there's no more death for me. There's no more stinking, rotten, sinning yuck. If I give my life to Christ and follow him and serve him, I find new life. I find an opportunity to live again. Now, in that, how should I live? I should live without that stench of death. I should live in freedom. I should live with an understanding of righteousness. I should live full of life, and I should live expecting new things every day. Every day. So the question is, are you ready for God to unlock new things in your new life today? Am I ready? Am I prepared to ask myself that question? Am I ready today, God? Knowing all this, you're an amazing God, and we can sing songs, and we can pray, and we can go to church service after church service after church service. But at the end of the day, it comes back to that question. Do I seriously believe that God has done all this for me? And in that knowledge, will I take the opportunity to live a new life in Him? And am I ready for him to do new things in my new life today? Got to answer that question. Jesus said himself, John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. See, this is the learning new normal part of what we're talking about this morning because we're really looking at life and death. And in the world remembering that this whole season and series is based on trying to hear things God's way, not the world's way, developing a new normal. In the world, death is the end. In the world, death marks the end. In God, death is just the beginning. You can't get new life without death. Something has to die in order for new life to begin. So death is not the end. Death is just the beginning. Jesus said it. We'll read it again. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Paul picked up on it in 1 Corinthians 15, 36. He wrote, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Death is a natural part of life. In God's economy, the old must die so that the new can be born. So that you and I in our Christian lives can unlock new things that God is ready to do in you. Unlocking new things in your new life. That's what we're going to go on for today. Very, very briefly. Flick with me to Isaiah, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's only a couple of verses. Isaiah 43. 18 and 19 mainly, but we'll go through to 21. Isaiah 43, 18, 19, 20 and 21. Looking at unlocking new things in your new life because death has allowed this to occur. 
This is what it says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself. Why? So that they may proclaim my praise. New days, new seasons, new times. It's all in God's plan. Do we understand it is the question he asks us. Are you with me, God says. Are you ready for me to unlock new things in your new life? Based on death, something must die so that it gives way to the new and the new can come through. This passage was first brought to my attention many years ago. In fact, when we first planted the church, it is only a couple of verses long, but it's very, very powerful. And in context, if you want to do some homework during the week, if you were to look at the beginning of that chapter, Isaiah 43, 1 all through to 17, the 17 verses that lead up to those four verses are amazing. It's God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to his people, basically saying, I love you, I made you, I created you, I will not ignore you, I will not forget you, I will not leave you or forsake you, I will take you through the waters, I will take you through the fire, I will take you through the storm, I'm with you all the way, says God. Verses 1 to 17, then in eighteen nineteen, he says, but leave the other stuff behind and come with me on a new journey. That's what God says. And the question for us is, are we ready to unlock these new things in this new life? What does it mean God is doing a new thing? Verse 19, see, I'm doing a new thing. What does it mean? Well, I think it's really, really complicated. And I think we have to study the, the Greek and the Hebrew to understand this. God is doing a new thing. It just means he's not doing the same old thing. That's all. <laughs> he's doing a new thing. It's different. We don't actually know what it is yet. But are we prepared to allow God to unlock something in us? That's the question. God wants to do new things in my life, in your life in the life of your family, in the life of the community, in the life of the church. Are we willing to let him do it? Yeah, but why? Why does he need to do a new thing? Why? Because the world's not listening. Because the world's not listening. We could go on world statistics if you like, but let's just look at Geelong. Anybody know the population of Geelong? 200,000 in the Geelong city area, 250 to 260 in the greater Geelong region, including down to the coast and up as far as Lara and beyond. How many people go to church on a Sunday morning regularly in that region? Anyone know? Statistics show us 7,500 people. 7,500 out of nearly 260,000. Why does God need to do a new thing? Because people are not listening. People are not listening. I might have shared this before. I'll share it again. It impacted me. A thought that I had a few years ago when I was reading a newspaper and there was an article there covering the anniversary of the celebration of McDonald's. I think at the time it was 30 years. It might be 35 or so now in Australia. Did my McDonald's homework. Had to go there and check it out. <laughs> Don't have the Grand Angus Burger. It's a rip-off. 
it tastes and looks nothing like it does on the ad. Oh, this is on tape. Oops, apologies to, <laughs> apologies to McDonald's and yeah, all affiliated companies. And whoops, no more free burgers. Um, never, 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 never. <clears throat> oh God, straight me down. Um, I had a bit of a look at McDonald's and a bit of a think, and and I read this article, and it was quite amazing, because the interviewer was asking, why has McDonald's been so successful? Why has McDonald's actually been able to to be as as unbelievably successful as it is. And they talked a little bit about um, their real estate because they put themselves in the right position, et cetera, et cetera. There's a few reasons. But at the end of the day, the guy who was the then um, head of McDonald's Australia said, look, I, I think it's as simple as this. We only have one message, but we change our method regularly. He said, really, we just sell burgers. And really, we only sell a Big Mac. That's our main burger. Everything else is extra. We're interested in selling burgers. That's what we do. But we change our method seasonally, annually, all the time. New colours, new songs, new jingles, new ads, new endorsements, new offers, all the time so that we can get that one message out into the community. And I got thinking about church. We've only got one message, only ever had one message for thousands of years. The one message the church has had is God loves you. It's as simple as that, God loves you. But we have to keep representing the one message so that different people, six and a half billion different people over the several hundred countries in the world And the 260-something thousand people in this region that are all different, that live in different homes and have different backgrounds and have different jobs and speak different languages and understand different things and have different desires, all these different people need to hear the same message in many different ways. Why? Because they're not currently hearing the message the way it's being presented. It's time for new things. There's time for new things. God says, I've got to do some new things. Same message, new presentation. And if you read through Scripture all the way and keep rereading it and look at it, you'll notice God seems to revamp His one message regularly. He uses commandments. He uses law. Then He changes to uh, Mosaic covenants and Davidic covenants. Then he, He trumps all that with the presence of Christ and establishes a church. And then as Christ leaves, he blesses us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. He continues to alter the way in which he gets the message across, but it's the same message. And we've got to learn from that and reflect that in the way we do life, not just in church, but in the way we live our everyday lives. One message, many methods. So the new thing that God probably wants to do in your life is something that he needs to work out with you, not me. But he wants to do stuff in me too. He's got to work that out with me, not you. Then he wants to do stuff in us. Got to work that out together. We've got to listen and hear what he's saying. What I want to do is just quickly give you, what have we got, a few minutes? Yep, about five minutes. I'll give you six quick things to help you prepare to be in a position to respond to God. 
six quick things to help you unlock the new things in your life, coming straight out of these three or four verses. What do we need? What do we need to unlock new things in my new life? Number one, I need a memory loss. Came up in communion. Thank you, Jermaine. It was fantastic. Verse 18 says, forget the former things. This is God speaking to the church through the prophet Isaiah. He says, forget the former things. We have to have the ability to forget the things in our past, good and bad. If you focus on the good stuff too much from your own past, you get an overinflated opinion of yourself. If you focus on the bad stuff too much from your own past, you have an undervaluing, an underestimation of yourself. You've got to be prepared to follow Scripture. Forget the former things. Jermaine even mentioned it during communion that in Hebrews, God himself says, I forgive you and I've forgotten. But we tend to hang on to stuff, don't we? We're hoarders. Hoarders of belongings and hoarders of memories and hoarders of hurts and hoarders of junk. God says, forget the former things. Get rid of them. Ask for forgiveness. Learn learn, move on. It's a bit of a mind game we end up playing with ourselves, isn't it? But the Bible's very clear. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I'm a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Romans 8, 1, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Conviction, yes. Movement, yes. Change, yes. Development, yes. Maturity, yes. Condemnation, no. It's been removed. Part of that old death, that old nasty dog in the backyard. It's gone. So number one, first thing you need is a memory loss. Forget the former things. Second thing we need is a position shift. Second half of that verse, verse 18 says, not just forget the former things, but do not dwell on the past. A memory loss is mental. Attitude of the mind. Position shift, the second thing you need, is an attitude of your heart. Are you prepared not just to forget the former things, but actually not to dwell on the past? Not just a memory loss, forgetting the good and bad of your past, but also a position shift. What you dwell on, you will dwell in. You dwell on sadness, that's where you live. You dwell in the past, that's where you live. What you dwell on, you will dwell in. I remember chatting with my grandfather many years ago before he passed away. And many of you know, <laughs> I'm sure you all know, that I barrack for a particular football club. Um, well, that came from my grandfather. My grandfather was a crazy, crazy football-loving man, grew up in Melbourne and was, of course, alive and at all the grand finals through the 30s, 40s and 50s uh, when Melbourne were at their, their power, their strength. And uh, didn't I know about it? <laughs> That's all he talked about was the glory days of the Melbourne Football Club, the good old days. Now that put a great passion for the club in my heart. But after a while, when you grow, and when there's a bit of maturity and a bit more common sense and a bit of understanding and a desire to move forward, you start thinking, Grandpa, you need to move on. Grandpa, you need to let go. Grandpa, this is seriously affecting you. Because he was so connected to the past. He was so deeply rooted in the success of the past, that he couldn't see the future. He had no concept of what was coming. He didn't even really know the current players' names. 
because he was so far back there. And we are in so much danger as people of allowing these sorts of things to happen to us in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, in our church. We remember what it used to be like and we're not prepared to let go of what it used to be like so that we can move forward and find what God has in a new thing, in a new day so that we can hear afresh, so that we can be revitalized and be the sort of people that will carry the light out into the world for the other 250,000 people that haven't yet got a glorious relationship with God, a memory loss and a position shift. Don't ever forget what happened to Lot's wife in Genesis 19. Specific instructions from God, do not look back. Take your belongings, grab your family and flee, God said through the angel to Lot's wife. Only about 10 verses later in Genesis chapter 19, it says, but Lot's wife looked back and was instantly turned into a pillar of salt. Fish and chips all round. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to me. Don't let that happen to your family. Don't let that happen to the church. Don't look back. A memory loss and a position shift. Third thing. Verse 19, see, I am doing a new thing, says God. We need a clarity of vision. We need a memory loss, we need a position shift, and we need a clarity of vision. See, I am doing a new thing. God wants us to see what he is doing. Sometimes I think we get so involved and overconnected to words like vision and mission statements and this and that and the other. At the end of the day, it comes down to that simple word, see. Can you see what God is doing? Will you watch God? Are you prepared to focus on what God is doing in your life and the lives of the people around you? See what I'm doing. Get a clarity of vision. God wants his heart, his works, his person, his being to be visible to us. He doesn't hide. God is not a peekaboo God. He doesn't hide and make you work hard to find him. He's very obvious, very evident and very clear. Sometimes I think we just need our eyes tested. In the same way that as we get a bit older, we, our eyes tend to degenerate. We, we may need glasses or other things. That, that happens. That's part of what happens because of wear and tear. And I think we have wear and tear in our Christianity as well. We either get disillusioned or tired. There's a bit of wear and tear on our vision. We can't see what God is doing. But he says, open your eyes. I'm doing things, so watch and be connected. Clarity of vision. Fourthly, sense of timing. Second half of that verse 19 says, not just see I'm doing a new thing, but now it springs up. Now. Timing, we we spoke about it a few weeks ago, is crucial. In God, there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything under heaven. Matthew 25, the story of the ten virgins waiting, waiting, Five of them filled their lamps with oil. Five of them didn't. Waiting. Esther 4. Who knows but that you may have come to this position for such a time as this. Now means now. Now. And to further demonstrate that, the use of the word springs. As I watch that, I get this sense of like a jack-in-the-box. I sort of 
tightly wound up and held in a little box and then bang, it springs up. It's been coiled down and then it's released. Quick, immediate action. Timing is crucial. Now it springs up. Fifth thing, second last one. Also from verse 19. Do you not perceive it? God wants us to perceive, to understand what he lays down before us. It's as though God is sort of knocking on the door of our heart saying, I'm here. Do you get it? Do you perceive it? I'm putting all this before you. Are you listening? Do you perceive it? We need a faith-filled understanding that only comes through prayer and relationship with God and thinking and meditating, considering, discussing, waiting on God. Last thing, also from verse 19, we need a right relationship with God. We don't just need a memory loss or a position shift or a clarity of vision, a sense of timing, faith-filled understanding. These things are all important, absolutely. But really it comes down to a right relationship with God. Verse 19 there says, I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. I had a laugh when I was looking at this because I remembered reading it for the first time sort of eight years or so ago. This verse... I must have been tired or hungry at the time because I swear it said I'm making souffle for dessert to streamline your waistband. (laughs) But it doesn't. It says I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. God's making a way, not us. God is God and we need to let him be God. Humility and respect demands that we let God do what God needs to do. Not try and run things for God. There's a beautiful old song, I think Don Moen may have written it and sung it, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He'll make a way for you and me. Or those old movies, you know, where people get lost in the desert and they're crawling over the sand, gasping for water. They finally find something they think is right, but no, no, it's a mirage, nothing there. Well, God's not a mirage. God's an oasis of pure living water. Will we let God have his way? We need to give ourselves wholly and solely over to God and be totally, totally in his hands. I actually found two old poems I thought I'd read. I've read them to you before, but they fitted in with what I was saying here, so I wanted to reread them for you. They're nice and short, but it's just talking about right relationship with God and putting everything in His hands. First one's called Broken Toys. It says this As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because He is my friend. But then instead of leaving Him in peace, to work alone. I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back again and cried, how could you be so slow? My child, he said, what could I do? You never did let go. Second one's called In His Hands. A basketball is worth about $50 in my hands. 
But a basketball in Michael Jordan's hands is worth about $100 million. A footy in my hands might be worth about $100. But a footy in James Hurd's hands is worth at least a million dollars. It all depends whose hands it's in. A tennis racket in my hands is really not worth very much at all. But a tennis racket in Pat Rafter's hands can win two US Opens. A golf club in my hands is an absolute waste of time. But a golf club in the hands of Tiger Woods wins all the majors consecutively. It all depends whose hands it's in. A staff in my hands is just a walking stick, but a staff in the hands of Moses parted the Red Sea. A slingshot in my hands is just a crudely connected twig and rubber band. But a slingshot in David's hands is a mighty weapon that defeated an entire army. It all depends whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves in my hands is just a couple of fish sandwiches. Two fish and five loaves in God's hands feeds thousands and changes lives. Nails in my hands just make a bloodied mess. Nails in the hands of Jesus produced salvation for the entire world. It all depends whose hands it's in. God wants to do new things in you, in me, in us, based on his desire to see you and I and all creation living the way he first intended us to live. God is a good God. God wants us all to live and walk in relationship with him and he will do new things consistently and continually to get our attention and to help us connect with him. We need a memory loss. We need a position shift. We need a clarity of vision. We need a sense of timing. We need a faith-filled understanding. And most importantly, we need a right relationship with God. It's a new, normal way of looking at things. Death is the beginning of life. Heavenly Father, right now in this place we pray, God, that you would stir our hearts. Lord, that you would teach us anew and afresh on a daily basis of the things we need in our hearts, in our minds, the things of which we need to be aware, the things we need to be focused on, the things we need to be working toward. God, show us as individuals, as families, as groups of people, as workplaces, as streets, as communities, as churches. God, show us what you want us to do in order that we can be the people that you've called us and made us and shaped us to be. Thank you, God, for your never-ending love. Thank you, God, for the boundaries you set. Thank you, God, that you have rescued people from sin and death that holds us down and back. You have removed death from our lives. As we link to you, we are made free 
free of sin and a past and free to step into life with you, made alive in Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. As you speak to our hearts, God, we pray that you would prepare us for new things. Prepare us for whatever you want to do with us, through us. Thank you, Lord. Rest in our hearts. Thank you, God. Love us and help us. Thank you, God. Praise your name. Lord, I pray specifically for every person here, every man, woman and child, every family that's represented. God, that as we go out this week into our various capacities of family and work and study, that as each new day brings its challenges, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen us and equip us and that we would choose, Heavenly Father, we would choose good things. We would make right choices. We would remember to acknowledge you. We would pray. We would lean on you. Trust not in our own understanding. We would actually live the way you've encouraged us to live. We would walk the talk, Heavenly Father. As we celebrate together in church, fantastic. But God, we know that there are six and a half other days this week where we're not in a church service. But we've still got you, Heavenly Father, at the core and center of everything. So bless us, Lord, as we bless you, because you are a mighty God. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Watch over these beautiful people, Heavenly Father. Allow them to have a, a week of opportunity, a week of boldness, a week of clear thinking, a week of establishing vision, a week of hearing from you. Actually, there are some people in this room right now as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. There are some people that have been struggling to hear from God, struggling to actually relate to, connect with and hear from God. This week, this week, you're going to hear from God. You're going to have a real connection point with God in your prayer life, in your worship life, in just your reading life. Understand, you're going to connect with God and go, wow, cool, wow. That's what I've been waiting for. Then remember that, don't forget, to go back for more. Go back and talk to God again and again and again. Let him teach you and equip you and build you up to be able to release you to speak on his behalf. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise your name. Amen. Amen. Have a fantastic week, and if you have the opportunity, grab something for lunch and come down to the park and have some lunch with us. That'd be fantastic. It's just down the end of the road. Go to the toilet first. There are no toilets there. (laughs) Grab a sandwich or something to cook on the barbie, and we'll see you down there. Bless you.